Hey guys, this is me. Did you move today? Welcome to a Did You Move Today podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and I'm very excited to be here. In this episode, I have Dr. Manuel Rivera Massa as my guest. He is a cardiologist in St. Louis, Missouri, and is affiliated with Barnes Jewish Hospital. He also speaks multiple languages, including Spanish and French. So I'm super excited to have him here. And he's my brother. So without further ado, let's just get started. All right. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. So my first question for you is, uh, can you tell me about yourself? Sure. And, and thanks for having me again. Sure. I, I'm, a, I'm currently a cardiology fellow at uh, Washington uh, University here in St. Louis. Uh, well, I, I, as you know, I, I grew up in uh, El Salvador. Uh, both of my parents are Salvadoran. Then they moved to France, which is where I ended up spending most of my childhood. Then we moved back to El Salvador, uh, did uh, medical school there, and uh, eventually moved to Miami for my internal medicine residency. And uh, now here I am doing my, my uh, cardiology fellowship in St. Louis. You always knew uh, you wanted to become a cardiologist, or how did that even happen? Well, not really, uh, in the sense that Originally, I, I really wanted to do to pursue tennis as a professional career. Obviously, that did not happen for me. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, it, it kind of sort of made sense uh, to go into medicine. Uh, my grandfather and my dad are both uh, cardiologists. Uh, so it, it always amazed me those uh, dinner conversations that we used to have Uh, in our family, especially during Christmas or, or any other special event. Uh, you know, I was kind of lost uh, in terms of what they were talking about. And, you know, I guess that that's also the reason why I decided to go into medicine to try to, you know, get more involved and, and also try to understand what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. Now, cardiology, I mean, is kind of a different uh specialty i would say so there's this uh person uh, his name is william osler he's considered the, fat, the father of medicine and he used to say that medicine is a science of uncertainty and also in our probability uh by far i would say that cardiology is, is one of those branches that have compiled a lot of data during the last couple of years and It's a very heavy evidence-based medicine. Now, the fact that medicine is kind of a science of uncertainty kind of troubled me initially. Uh, and I guess that cardiology having the most data and also having a heavy impact in the health of all the individuals that we're treating uh, made it more attractive to me. Now, did you ever think about another uh, specialty in medicine or was it all, like cardiology in your mind as the first uh, due to the fact that my grandfather and dad were cardiologists? Well, I, I thought about just doing internal medicine, uh, which is usually, uh, you know, the residency that you need to complete before going into cardiology. Now, mm -hmm. what kind of bothers me is, you know, in medicine, 
medicine is kind of weird in, in the way that either you know a little bit of everything or you can become like super specialized and know a lot about a very, very small thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, not knowing the details is, is something that, you know, I, I don't feel that comfortable uh, with. So, you know, in my case, uh, you know, I, I, I decided to pursue the route of, you know, going into a subspecialty and trying to really focus in a very limited field. Okay. Now I have two questions that are related to if you could relate them to cardiology and just medicine Uh in general. So why do you think that exercise is so important for, for humans? Well, for, for humans in in general, I mean, I would say, you know, exercise is, is, uh, well, it has been shown that it's linked to better sleep, uh, memory, a better balance and also improve cognitive ability. Uh, you know, if yeah. you, if you exercise, uh, you have, you know, lesser risk of gaining weight. Uh, you have also a lower risk of having a chronic disease, uh, such as dementia and also, uh, you know, improves your mental health in general. Uh, as a matter of fact, people who exercise, mm-hmm tend to have uh, less incidence of depression. Uh, I guess that that pretty much sums up, you know, all the important uh, uh, factors that, that exercise has been, have been linked to. Now, you know, if you, if you go into uh, looking up all the guidelines that focus on exercise, you'll notice that the, you know, the American Heart Association actually recommends, you know, for you to, at least exercise 150 minutes per week. Uh, so that would mm-hmm. pretty much sum up to 30 minutes per day, five days out of one entire week. And, you know, you should be doing some aerobic exercise. Uh, aerobic exercise basically uh, means, you know, either running, uh, walking at a brisk pace, swimming, dancing, or even cycling. Uh, nice. Yeah. Now, sorry to interrupt you. So would you say that aerobic exercise is better than non-aerobic exercise? Or is it just well, that we have more research in aerobic yes, exercise? Uh, so that, that's a good question, actually. So, so there's more research in, in aerobic exercise. And, and that's why, you know, we focus so, so much on that, that type of exercise. That's not to say that anaerobic exercise uh, uh, is not linked to, uh, uh, you know, other benefits. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like weightlifting, for example, that's not an aerobic exercise, but, you know, weightlifting has actually been associated with, uh, uh, you know, uh, reduced risk of, uh, a reduction in the risk of, of developing bone disease, such as osteoporosis and, 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 and such. Nice. Now, why do you think that eating well is also important? I know you mentioned that sleeping well is important as well, but why do you think that eating well is, is important for us? So, I mean, just eating well is also associated with all the, uh, 
of the benefits that I just mentioned about, you know, exercise in general. Uh, now, uh, eating well is particularly important for, in the U.S., I believe. Uh, so, you know, as everyone knows, uh, you know, obesity is a common, uh, serious, and a, a very costly disease. Uh, about 40% of of persons in the U.S. Um, suffer from, from, from obesity. Uh, you know, I think it's very important for you to, uh, you know, eat well in general. Uh, you know, one should limit uh, their calories uh, from added sugars, saturated fat, and also salt. Salt is very, very uh, detrimental when you're consuming it at, in high quantities. Now, obviously, you know, your calorie intake, uh, you know, depends on, on your age, also your level of metabolism, uh, your level of physical activity. Uh, typically, you know, you'd like your uh, female patients to have, you know, a calorie intake of about 2,000 calories per day, and your male patients to have about a calorie intake of about 2,500. So what, what the uh, major guidelines in nutrition actually recommend is that, you know, you should limit your total calorie intake uh, to less than 10% in terms of added sugars, less than 10% in saturated fats, and less than two grams mm -hmm. of sodium per day. Uh, you know, I can't focus enough and how important it is to actually start reading the labels when you go to, to the supermarket and, and do your groceries. Nice. Now with coronavirus going on, um, what, what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on coronavirus? Do you feel like exercising and eating well? And what, I don't know. I want to know what are your thoughts on that? So, I mean, that, that's a, that's a very good question. It's a very, you know, current topic, uh, you know, the data in terms of how bad this virus is, is, is currently ongoing. Uh, you know, a matter of fact, uh, ACP just released recommendations in terms of what one should be doing to take all the precautions to avoid transmission of the coronavirus. Now, you know, coronavirus in general, uh, is a type of virus that has been associated with the common cold. Uh, uh, it has also been seen to cause some other diseases in the past, such as SARS and, uh, and, and MERS. Uh, well, SARS actually uh, was a big thing back in the early 2000s. Uh, MERS um, was a big thing back in the in 2010, I would say, and now coronavirus is is actually a big is actually a big current threat that originated in, in Asia. Uh, now, I would say there's no way of stopping this current pandemic, but there's definitely a way of mitigating it. Now, most of the uh, things that one could do to mitigate this pandemic are actually, you know, things that would be common sense for everyone. Uh, you know, one should have good respiratory hygiene. 
And that means basically if you're feeling ill, you should not be going out. Uh, you should not be, I mean, and if you go out, uh, you know, you should take all the precautions in terms of, you know, coughing or sneezing, just make sure to cover your, 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 your mouth or, you know, just make sure to have tissue and, uh, and, you know, just mm -hmm. put that tissue away, throw it into a, into a trash and, uh, and also wash your hands. I mean, I can't focus enough on how important, you know, the action of hand washing is. Uh, you know, obviously, in terms of treatments for this, for this virus, uh, you know, we don't have that many options. Uh, we don't know exactly what works or not. There's a couple of uh, antivirals out there that have shown some promise, but, you know, we really don't have the data. Now, coming back to your question in terms of, you know, whether eating healthy or, you know, having or employing healthy behaviors on a daily basis, such as exercising is important or not, you know, I would say this, uh, you know, obviously, if you have, uh, you know, less chronic diseases uh, that could have been avoided, you know, should you have been exercising in the past and eating healthy, uh, that definitely should put you at a lesser risk than someone who has, you know, more mm -hmm. chronic comorbidities. Uh, like, I don't know, I would say, I mean, a uh, patient who has chronic respiratory problems, patient who has chronic cardiovascular disease, uh, I would assume that that patient is, is probably at a higher risk of displaying uh, severe disease or severe illness from the coronavirus infection than, than someone who is uh, the same age but does not have all those chronic medical issues. Nice. Now, I want to change the topic a little bit more, and mm -hmm. I want to talk about research. Um, so what's the hardest thing about research? I know research for medical doctors is different than people that are working on their PhD or professors. But I, but, but I, I want to know what's the, what's the hardest thing about research. So I would say by far, uh, getting started. Uh, and, you know, because most of the time people that have not had any sort of formal research training don't know how to start uh, and how to get involved in a project. I would say it's very important for you to identify a uh, topic that you're interested in and a topic in which you will be uh, willing to invest a lot of time. And the other important factor of it all is you need to find a good mentor. Uh, finding a mentor is almost the same thing as, as dating. Uh, you know, you, you go on a couple of dates, uh, you know, there, there might be some chemistry, eventually it doesn't work. So the same thing, same thing happens with a mentor. You know, you have, to, you have to put yourself out there. You have to meet with different types of mentors. And eventually you'll find the mentor that, uh, you know, will guide you through the process of actually uh, doing research. Now, uh, you know, most of the people uh, that do research might share this feeling with me or not. Uh, but definitely getting your first paper published, that's the most difficult uh, experience that you'll have. Uh, you know, there's always 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people don't think about this, but, you know, you've, you know, a research project takes a lot of your time. Uh, you know, you come up, you finally come up with a paper and you eventually submit that paper to uh, a journal. Uh, you know, the journal reviews it. You know, there's always that back and forth, you know, between the reviewers and the authors, you know, uh, having an active conversation of, you know, revisions that you should do before they uh, are willing to publish your, your paper. You know, that back and forth can be, can initially be intimidating, but then again, uh, you know, I guess that it makes you grow as a researcher and makes you, uh, you know, think uh, about your, your research project in a different way. I think you mentioned that one of the hardest things is yeah. to find a good mentor. How, so you said that mm-hmm. it's almost like dating and I, I, I was thinking about it. Like how, how would you, how can someone reach to a mentor without sounding too, too either too intimidated or like too pushy? Like what's that balance? Where can you, what can you say? Uh I mean, you just have to put yourself out there, I would say. Uh, you know, when it comes to research, uh, you know, you, you can't be thinking about, you know, what will this person think about me? You know, uh, you know, I might dumb about trying to do research with this person. Um, truth is that, you know, if you're getting involved into research, you, you know, being involved in publishing basically is sort of like a declaration of membership and in this mm-hmm. new community. And, you know, you would be amazed of the amount of people that are doing research that are willing to recruit people that are interested in their, in, in the research that they're doing. So, I mean, just, I would, my recommendation would be just put yourself out there, you know, send some emails, uh, you know, chances are that out of 10 emails that you send, you, you'll get one or two responses, but those one or two responses are, you know, will lead you into something, uh, you know, much bigger. And, uh, and, you know, you'll all of a sudden be exposed to this, uh, you know, great research experiences, I would say. Nice. Now, what's your current research? I mean, what's your favorite or favorite research so far? If you can, if you, I mean, you're talking to someone that Mm -hmm. is definitely not a cardiologist. And what's like, how would you explain it in like simple words? Is that, is there such thing as explaining it in a simple word or simple couple sentences? One of my research projects or? Yeah. Or your favorite. Yes. If you have a favorite. I mean, as, as I told you, the, the most, you know, that, that project that will change you know, your whole perspective about research is typically your first project. Uh, you know, even if my first project was not, mm-hmm. you know, that was not that uh, significant, I would say. It, it was definitely, it was definitely my, you know, mm-hmm. it's definitely by far my, my, my favorite project. Uh, for one reason, you know, that was the project in which I identified my research mentor. 
And that's also the project who, you know, exposed me and, 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 and kind of made me feel part of, of, the, of a research community. So, you know, that, that project was basically, uh, you know, uh, an analysis looking at how, uh, you know, lowering your blood pressure, even if, even if you have chronic kidney disease, could lead to uh, a reduction in death and also uh, could reduce your risk of having uh, you know, heart attacks, strokes, and, and, and also some other uh, cardiovascular uh, disease. Mm-hmm. Nice. That, I know you review papers, right? You're, yeah. Do you sometimes get emails, people asking you to review papers? What's the, what's the number one thing that you see when, you're review, when you so, review a paper? I mean, it's not one thing; it's multiple things. Uh, you know, I usually go about uh, a mnemonic, and that mnemonic is finer. Uh, so the first, I mean, the first uh, uh, a letter basically, uh, you know, asked whether you know the research was if you could have done the research in in, in any other type of ways, or is it is it feasible or not? My second question is, you know, is it interesting? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, interesting in terms of, you know, to the rest of the, uh, of the scientific community or not. Uh, my, my next, you know, the, the other important aspect of it all is, you know, you have to ask yourself, is your research novel? Uh, also, the other important uh, factor is, is, is it ethical? But perhaps the most uh, the most important uh, question that I ask myself when I, when I look at papers is, is it relevant? Uh, and by relevancy, I mean, you know, can this research lead to future research? Uh, can this research uh, result in changes in current healthcare policy? Uh, how does this research add to what is currently already known? Uh, you know, those are all, those are all important questions that, you know, you should ask yourself when you're reviewing a paper, but you should also be asking yourself all of these questions before starting a project. So, you know, you should, all of these factors are important. And if you, if you start a project having these questions in mind, chances are that your project will impact uh, and contribute to the scientific knowledge uh, on a on on a most uh, higher type of uh, impact way. Nice. So you said feasible, interesting, novel, yes. ethical, no, and relevant. Did are, I yeah. miss any? Nice. Great. So, is there anything that you would like to share with uh, the listeners? Uh, I mean, I could probably say my, my favorite author uh, uh, is uh, Atul Gawande. He's, uh, he's also a physician, uh, uh, but he has written a lot of books. Perhaps my you know, the favorite book that I've that I read uh, from him is uh, Better. And at the end of that book, he actually uh, 
gives a couple of advices uh, on how uh, to be a positive deviant. Uh, perhaps the best advice that I took from that book is count something. You should definitely be counting something. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a scientist or not. Uh, the mo what, what I meant to say is that, you know, in this world, everyone is a scientist. Uh, and that means, I mean, you can be a lab researcher counting tumor cells on a Petri dish, uh, be, uh, you know, a layperson counting complications from, from a procedure, or, I don't know, I mean, you could be counting anything. Uh, it doesn't really matter, as long as you find that thing interesting to you. And you'll, you'll realize that, you know, by counting something, uh, you know, that's actually the first way of how you could pick something up and figure out how to make a change and improve that particular process. So that's, uh, that's advice, you know, no matter, no matter what you do in life, just count Great. something. Now I have another question that, after what you just answered, what are your thoughts on qualitative research? Well, I mean, it's definitely important. Uh, I think it's definitely uh, hypothesis generating. Uh, and, you know, can eventually mm -hmm. be, you know, sometimes it can eventually progress into uh, quantitative research. Uh, you know, obviously, I don't, I don't know much about mm -hmm. quantitative research, uh, but I, I do know that it's very important. Uh, you know, in, in terms of generating hypotheses. And, and that's usually how, you know, the whole research uh, 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 saga tends to begin. Great. What will you tell your younger self? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I, I would actually tell them to, you know, just relax, uh, you know, enjoy the ride. Uh, you know, things eventually work out for everyone. So I have two more questions for you. And my first question is, did you move today? On this morning. Nice. Great. And then my last question, because I want to be very mindful of your time, is what's movement so that, for you? I think we've had this conversation before. Uh, not sure. I mean, movement can be physical and movement can be cognitive as well. Uh, but what I would say is, you know, cognitive movement, regardless of whether it's cognitive movement or physical movement, you know, the, the question that you need to ask yourself uh, on a regular basis is, you know, what, what's this particular action adding to my day? Uh, if, if, you know, if you go for a run and, 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 and you think about it, you know, running actually is contributing to my health, right? Uh, you know, if, if you look at it from mm -hmm. the other perspective, you know, I'm reading something, but, you know, this particular thing will end up adding or contributing something to my well-being. Like, I mean, you mentioned coronavirus uh, uh, on one of your questions. You know, one of the things that, that, that you know, one might consider, you know, movement or, or, or an action that could potentially contribute to your well-being could be, you know, let's do a little bit of research about coronavirus, you know. 
you know, perhaps people don't know what yeah. an appropriate hand washing technique is. Perhaps people don't know that, you know, in order for, for one to consider, you know, hand washing appropriate, you have to at least wash your hands for 20 seconds. I mean, those are all important things that, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis are not, are not taken into account. So, you know, regardless of whether you move physically or regarded, regardless if you think that movement is more uh, cognitive action, you know, the most important thing would be, you know, how is this contributing to my day? How is this contributing to my well-being? And how is this contributing to my health? Great. Thank you very much for your time. Um, I really look up to you and I'm very happy you said yes uh, to become, to being a guest on my podcast. So yeah, thank no you very much for that. I really appreciate it. All right, guys, I hope you like this episode. And if you haven't moved, you still have a couple of hours.